Let us pray together. Holy God, as we gather here this morning, we hear the truth of this music that has touched our hearts, that we are asking for you to come, to come into our lives and to come into the world for all of the times that we were hungry and thirsty. Even now we hunger and thirst for your word, and we ask that as the scripture is read and your word proclaimed, we may hear it deeply within us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 112. Praise the Lord! Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise up in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious and merciful and righteous. And it is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. And they are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm and secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid And in the end, they will look in triumph over their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. For the desires of the wicked comes to nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer we have been in a sermon series looking at the Sabbath, what the gift of that day is, what it means to receive that gift in in, in practical ways, what the implications of it are, how it relates to so many of the core themes, really, of Scripture. Uh, Today, we're not going to look at at Sabbath directly in in ways we have in, in a number of other previous sermons this summer, but the teaching that unfolds by Jesus in Luke 14 happens on the Sabbath day. And, and I will remind you that I do think that is critical because the Sabbath day is a day that names grace. Right? You don't earn a Sabbath by having a really great work week. You don't unearn a Sabbath by having a, a, a terrible work week. It, it's just a grace that interrupts our reality, that, that reminds us of the undeserved favor of Jesus Christ given unto all. And so that kind of backdrop, that kind of gracious reality is here for us in our passage as we hear from 
Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and then on to 7 through 14. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. And Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor. He told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we used to live in Pasadena, California, we were continually aware that at any moment an earthquake could happen. Perhaps even the next big one. It wasn't less than a year into our time out there that we experienced our first notable tremor. Maybe five or six seconds where our second floor apartment starts to shake. And it it takes us a moment to even realize that's what's happening. Because in in one sense, everything's still fine. But then there's just enough rumbling that you can see shaking and moving and sliding along one of our shelves. And then it stops. I go over to the kitchen area and we've got a couple of things of pasta on the ground, a couple of glass jars that have shaken their way to the edge but have not fallen. All told, not much cleanup, but we non-Californians realized we needed to reassess how we went about organizing and ordering things because it could be a lot worse with a big quake. In many ways, the first part of Jesus' teaching in Luke 14 is a tremor aimed at the Pharisees. The teaching's nothing too rough at first, just, just a parable meant to shake up their assumptions concerning how they go about organizing and ordering themselves. The whole scene you heard starts with Jesus noticing how these Pharisees are jostling to be seated in positions of honor at the banquet table. Good reason for this, because these dinner parties were more than, than dinner parties. These banquets, especially in that culture, were spaces where people sifted out where they fell on the social and class pecking order. And where you were able to sit really did affect how your family was received in the community, your ability to make more profits that year, the ways you could marry into other families. You had good reason to jostle for an honorable seat. In our day, I think we talk about the kind of person who knows it's not what you know, but who you know. And they have a way of of being near the right people and at the right events. Or we talk about people who are good at working the crowd, working the system. Or or maybe they're, they're particularly good at presenting a very good image on social media and able to generate higher click rates and visibility. 
one way or another, we can think of settings in our day and our time where we know yeah, something of this jostling to get to seats where, yeah, you're a little bit more noticed. You're a little bit higher up in, in whatever field or group or gathering. And Jesus does not at first really critique this, this desire to be in a place of honor. His first words are, are more a tremor that just shakes about shakes the system and assumptions about how we think about getting to such a place. For instance, when you're invited to a wedding banquet, don't, don't sit at the place of honor. Go sit at the lowest place. And, and then, you know, when the host comes to you and says, friend, move up higher, you're going to be honored. And in many ways, Jesus is just recapitulating scripture itself. Proverbs 25, don't exalt yourself in the king's presence. Don't claim a great space among the great men. It's, it's better for the king to come and say to you, come here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you know, what if you risk showing up and taking the low position? What if you don't put so much effort into moving up, getting noticed, making waves? What if you went with humility? What if you can attentively settle in, take the low seat, focus there, and the host, the boss, the people above you, the crowd you admire, well, they may come and notice and invite you higher. But Jesus' teaching doesn't end there. That is but a tremor on the theme of humility, a first shake in the direction Jesus is headed how often a tremor anticipates a full-on earthquake. I'm grateful for the fact that I have never been part of a full-on catastrophic earthquake. I've seen pictures. I know another one struck even earlier this morning in in Southeast Asia. It's always mind-boggling for me to see the ways the surface of the earth, in one moment, totally firm, trustworthy, cohesive, and in a matter of seconds, it's like the bottom drops out. I mean, in some areas, it's not just that the, the, the street signs and lights are down and now we've got to put them back up. No, huge chunks of ground are torn dozens of feet apart from one another. And the signs and the lights, there is just no going right back up. Because the assumption of that land itself has been upended and will never be the same. Jesus turns to the host and now he delivers a full earthquake about humility in the kingdom of God. When you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Because they could repay you. To invite any of those people in your social circle... uh, It means you've invited one who can and and will return the favor. At root, especially in the society and how hospitality was working at the time of Jesus, there is this idea that if, if you host me, I will host you. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. There's there's sort of this mutual self-interest of getting ahead baked into what hospitality had become. Instead of that, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why them? Because they're hungry? Or not many people are noticing them? All of that may be very well and true. 
But the reason Jesus gives to invite this crowd, because these particular kind of people, they cannot repay you. I want you to invite those with no money, no standing, absolutely no ability to benefit your upward trajectory at all. Now why would we throw a meal or do anything without some kind of benefit, even if we don't think in those terms? I mean, even even in the, the church, when we do something for another, I think there's a, a little bit of a hope for a thank you or an acknowledgement or at some point just a, something from someone. Don't need it, but or maybe we do good work in the community over time. I mean, there's a little bit of a hope that maybe a newspaper or some publication recognizes, hey, that church is doing some generous work. Let's, let's talk about that. And maybe others hear about it in the neighborhood and, and they want to join that kind of church. Or maybe we volunteer for a year at a homeless shelter. No one knows it. No one notices. That's fine. That's not why we're doing it. But, but, but it's also nice. We have it for a resume. It, it might Help be an experience that moves yet something further along in another area of life at some point. I mean, even in our generosity, I think we can't help but hope for some kind of benefit, even if it's not bad or filled with some kind of vanity. But the picture Jesus paints is a host giving a banquet 100% free of any tinge of benefit. Jesus names a people that in no way, no how could benefit the host. In fact, these four, these groupings, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, they, all, they, they not only had no way of really repaying socially, monetarily, they actually had a bad reputation in this society. As some of you know, the crippled, the lame, the blind... They, they were considered unclean because of their ailments. And, and many in this time saw the, the maladies that these people had as uh, resulting in their own sin. God is punishing them for some kind of sin they or their family did. And so to invite these people is not only to be of no sort of upward benefit... It very well may drag your reputation down, your prospects down. And you have to imagine upon hearing this teaching, the Pharisees, they're looking over to Jesus and they're either saying aloud or saying within, who in the world throws a banquet for people who could not only never repay you, but very well may take you down. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus sets a banquet and invites the poor in substance, the poor in spirit, the poor in allegiance. Jesus sets a banquet and invites the crippled in body, the crippled in faith, the crippled Morally, Jesus sets a banquet and invites the lame in body, the lame in courage, the lame in love. Jesus sets a banquet, invites the blind in sight, the blind to neighbor, the blind to God's leading. Jesus throws a banquet for people who cannot do anything for him and who in fact end up betraying, denying, doubting, and dragging 
him down. 2004, the Westminster Community Church in Seattle, Washington, they held a meeting of 30 core leaders, and they really had just but a few more dozen beyond that in the church. Founded in 1923, it had been a notable large congregation in the downtown area, but at the turn of the millennia, they, they really started to see a precipitous drop in attendance and budget. No obvious one single reason, aside from all the myriad of factors that the church faces these days. But it left it, things clear enough to them that they probably could keep the doors open for another five years if everything remained as is. So they're talking and they're praying and they're going over all the ways they, they might draw people back to the church and kind of get back on that upward trajectory. And someone asked the question, how would the neighbors know if Jesus lived at our street address? Good question, and then they started to realize, well, well, insofar as Jesus lives in the body of Jesus Christ, he does live actually at this address, but it, it got them thinking, how would the neighbors know? And so they risked a few things that, that flat out failed, until they finally, they just, they go back to scripture, and they notice in scripture and the early church, and, and they're stunned with the amount of times you can see Jesus eating with people, particularly people of a more marginalized status or surprising way. Tax collectors, poor, or teaching over meals. Luke 14. You can read the whole story of this particular church in a a book called Dinner Church, Building Bridges by Breaking Bread. But long story short, they, they start serving up fresh, delicious meals on these thoughtfully prepared tables with music and a little bit of art and prayers of healing on the side if you'd like. Free of charge to any who might want a meal. Not necessarily to the poor, but a lot of the poor came. Not necessarily to social pariahs, but a number came. Not necessarily to the rich who can be so terribly alone, but a number came. Not necessarily Christian, in fact a whole bunch were not. Eventually, it takes hold in, in, in the ways they're able to share themselves and, and even Jesus over these tables. It becomes a networked movement now called the Dinner Church Collective. And I hardly want to gloss over all that they did, the immense challenges that were faced, the way they had to reimagine so many different things. But what is striking about their story is that when their church had the backs against the wall and they honestly just had nothing to lose... They finally risked a kind of love to a people who could not repay the gift being given. They, they prayed in a way that asked not for their street signs and street lights to be put back up just as they were. They prayed with a humility, willing to see the whole landscape shift if it meant God is leading them faithfully. God, as we search your word together, we are open to whatever you want us to do and going wherever You want to lead us, even if we cannot see how that could possibly benefit the trajectory we kind of would like. There is a good kind of humility that takes the low seat in the current reality. And then there is a humility of total surrender open to yet a whole other banquet unfolding. Do we know the posture? 
It's no wonder that when Jesus dies on the cross, when his body is broken in that moment of greatest humility, it's no wonder that we have right there recorded in the Gospel of Matthew an earthquake. As if declaring that the kingdom of God does break in powerfully, markedly upon this earth as it is in heaven. But it doesn't come by way of might or strength or willpower or military. It comes by way of the body broken in humility. The landscape of reality, the landscape of Richmond, the landscape of our very hearts, they birth with new life. When the body opens itself in a humility of complete surrender, not my will, but thy will be done, no matter what. To the poor and the crippled, to the lame and the blind, the host throws a banquet this day. May we feed upon this cruciform love, find ourselves surrendered and offering ourselves in love to all the wrong people. And may we discover the terrifying joy once more that knows that the next big one is upon us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Amen.